0: From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland, your host this week. I'm here with my colleagues Andrew Kenny and Caitlin Ken. Hi, hello.
1: We're here in Purplish headquarters, aka the CPR newsroom in downtown Denver, <laughs> where things are very normal and very stress-free in this final week of the election. <laughs>
0: We are recording this on the morning of October 29th. We are less than a week from Election Day.
2: Yay! <laughs> God.
1: You say that now. Things will have changed by the time you're listening to this. Just keep that in mind.
0: Maybe even by the time we're done recording it. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a lot we've been following. Voter turnout, statewide ballot questions, the Senate race, what voters are thinking. And for this episode, we'll be looking ahead to the finish line, election night.
1: Might be a very long finish line.
0: Maybe not one night, but
2: several nights. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Hopefully the finish line. And, and so we're going to look at what we're watching for as results come in beyond who won and who lost and what lost. We want to look at where things seem to be headed for our state and what it all means. So, Caitlin, you just got back from the Western Slope. That area has a competitive congressional seat, an open race between Republican political newcomer Lauren Boebert and Democrat Diane Mitchbush.
1: Bush. And I think this is a race that's going to tell us Quite a bit about Western Colorado, in particular, Colorado politics, right?
2: Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so just to recap, so everyone knows, uh, Lauren Boebert is the Republican candidate. She is uh, the owner of Shooter's Restaurant, you know, where their servers wear guns. Um, she's a very strong proponent of the Second Amendment, of, of, of Donald President, Donald Trump. Um, and she's gotten
0: so much. I've been, I've been... Kind of maybe not surprised, but she's gotten so much national media
2: attention in this race. Yes. Well, some she's
1: of... very astutely cast herself as the anti-AOC.
2: Exactly. But in some of that that national media race hasn't necessarily been positive. You know, she was on that QAnon-friendly show. She made some statements earlier. And I think that's part of what propelled her to the national stage. That and the fact that she beat incumbent Scott Tipton in the primary. She and has since, no one saw that coming. Exactly. And she has since said that she is not a follower of QAnon. I just want to make sure we say that. So that's Lauren Boebert. On the other side is uh, former state legislator Diane Mitch Bush. She's a former sociology professor. Um, she's older than Lauren Boebert. She has, while mm-hmm. Lauren Boebert has been out and about sort of campaigning, she has kept this race pretty much virtual. But she ran against Tipton in 2018. So she still is a known quantity. But as you were saying earlier, I think what this will tell us about politics in Colorado is if there is a blue wave, Mm -hmm. how strong that blue wave will be. Because the, you know, CD3, Western Slope, Southern Colorado, very diverse, leans Republican, huge district. I mean, if that goes blue, I think that will be the watermark of the, the blue wave in Colorado if it doesn't, I think it tells you sort of the limitations of the Democrats here in Colorado, in, in western Colorado. I think it shows that it probably is more conservative than maybe we thought. So when you were out there talking to voters, how engaged were people and what were you hearing? Well, I think people were engaged. I mean, this is, you know, it's a national level Contest in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Like Lauren has cast herself as sort of the Trump acolyte. Diane Mitch Bush touts her bipartisan credentials, her, her problem solving skills, much in the vein of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And you saw like signs everywhere. I mean, I know you see this every election season, but like I was out there in August and I didn't, I barely saw any Democratic signs. This trip out, I saw them. I saw them for Biden. <laughs> I saw them for Hickenlooper. I saw them for Mitch Bush. I mean, the Republican signs still outnumber the Democratic signs, but yeah. it was there.
1: This is such an interesting district because it's been a Republican district for 10 years now since Tipton took it. Mm-hmm. And it's also somewhere that Trump performed very strongly by you know, a double digit win in 2016. Mm-hmm. And now in 2020, we get to see Uh, Does Trump overperform, underperform? And what happens to the very Trumpian candidate, Lauren Boebert?
2: And I think that's exactly what I heard out in the district. You know, you have some Republicans who really love her sort of tough, I am I'm going to support Trump. I'm going to support the Mm -hmm. the very, you know, make America great agenda. Then you had other Republicans who were just like a little taken aback, I think a Mm -hmm. little less Mm -hmm. enthusiastic because, you know, words that they used. And this was coming from some Republicans and unaffiliated leaning Republicans. Radical, a little too conservative, you know. Those things came up. Just listen to Richard Madrid in Durango, who is unaffiliated but leans Republican.
1: Lauren is a little bit radical and I struggle with that quite a bit and I end up I ended up voting for for her. You did. Yeah. But I, I at the same time I didn't feel like if I voted for Bush that it would have been a
2: mistake,
0: you know, so. So he was saying he doesn't really dislike Mitch Bush, but still is backing Boebert. Exactly. And then did you hear a lot of enthusiasm from, from the left with, with Mitch Bush?
2: I did hear some, you know, she, as I mentioned before, she ran in 2018 and They liked her then. And even though she's running a virtual campaign now, that that sort of residual effectiveness sort of, you know, again, her bipartisan credentials, her ability to work across the aisle, work with the communities she represents was something that people who were supporting her mentioned. But again, like the national election, you also have people who just don't like the Trumpian candidate. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. not that they're voting for Mitch Bush. They're voting against Lauren Boebert. I spoke with Renthia Monroe. She is a biracial young mother living in Parachute, which is the town right to the west of Rifle, Lauren Boebert's hometown. And she said she was going to vote for Diane Mitch Bush. Didn't agree with everything she stands for, but more so than Lauren Boebert. And I asked her what she didn't like about Lauren Boebert, and this is what she had to say. Almost everything, yeah. Lack of policy, her disregard for COVID-19. Um, a lot of things really upset me about her. She just doesn't really seem to care about the health and wellness of people around her. So just to get some context in, when she talked about disregard for COVID-19, if you all remember, Lauren Bobert's restaurant was one that broke public health rules, mm-hmm. something conservatives <laughs> loved out there, but not, again, not everybody.
1: So, wow, this is just a race that captures every single possible national issue, from public health to, a again, a Trumpian candidate to a kind of a middle-of-the-road, older Democratic candidate. Mm-hmm. This is something where the winner of this, I don't know, could be a major force in in telling us what is the future of this Republican Party here in Colorado, or at least what is the future of it in these strongly Republican districts?
0: Right. I mean, I've seen it suggested, could she be the face of the GOP in Colorado if Boebert wins? I personally don't see that, but it'll shape how the party moves forward potentially. And there's a lot of business conservatives and more I don't want to say mainstream, but more moderate Republicans that do want to see the party take a different direction. And I, I think we'll we'll see after election day. But Republicans have faced some pretty steep losses here recently. So
1: I think she would be a face of the Republican Party. And you know, even though she would only be representing this C D three, she would be a major media kind of figure and she could have a lot of influence in pushing the right wing of the party in a certain direction.
2: Well, but she couldn't. She couldn't because she would still be if if she gets selected, she'll still be one of four hundred and thirty five Congress people. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll be a freshman and she'll be in the minority. So there are limits to what she will be able to do legislatively,
1: yeah, yeah. but imagine when bobert, when Congresswoman Bobert turns her full social media attention on you and and tries to push you as a Republican state lawmaker say to do what she wants. I could imagine her having some clout.
2: If she gets elected. That's I mean, right. there's a lot, there's still a lot at play and as I might have mentioned earlier, this race, part of the reason why it's gotten so much attention is that it's become neck and neck. The polls are really tight. And yeah. I think, you
0: yeah, know, one area, Pueblo is going to be interesting and I think could, could play a key role here and, Uh, maybe swing the seat. It's a Democratic Mm. area that voted for Trump and it voted for Tipton, but narrowly. And so if Mitch Bush does really well in Pueblo, that could uh, move the race in her favor.
2: Yeah, I think she would have to do really well in Pueblo to offset some of the sort of redder parts of that district. So yeah, I think think she has been focusing a lot on Pueblo to up her chances. Um, One thing I will also add that you know, talking about how this might change the face of the GOP. If she does get elected, it also changes, I think, the face of the GOP contingent from Colorado to Washington, D.C. I mean, you'll have Ken Buck, who is also a you know fiscal conservative in the vein of Lauren Boebert. You have Doug Lamborn, also very conservative. You've what we have seen in the last couple of years is the losing of the moderate Republicans, like Mike Kaufman, who lost in 2018. Tipton, who at least, you know, even though he didn't vote like as a moderate, he had more moderate overtones in the way he talked and the way he worked. So I think this is also a question about where the Republican Party is going.
1: Yeah, your your suburban moderate area Republicans are getting replaced by Democrats, and then even your kind of further right Republicans are getting replaced by even further right Republicans.
2: Yeah.
0: Another thing I know we'll be focused on this election is what is going to happen with some of the suburban voters and we've seen a lot of high voter turnout and we've seen some swings in legislative districts um, certain areas that were reddish turning more blue and uh, Andy, I know you've been following that pretty closely
1: yeah indeed I live in you just informed me I live in one of the most expensive state house race districts in in all of Colorado, right
0: yep yeah, and one of the ones that's expected to be the most competitive.
1: That's where Representative Brianna Taton, a Democrat, is trying to hold on to her newly won seat. And as I mentioned last show, the mailers are just pouring in. I like got 20 in a day. You know, another interesting thing is that my county, Jefferson County, currently leads early voting turnout as hmm. well. That's the, the where the most ballots are coming in from. So- what do,
0: what do you what are you hearing from folks that what's driving that?
1: You know, the one issue that I continually hear again and again, at least from your more center and left-leaning voters, is this desire to return to civility. This is Lenny Hawley, a 63-year-old from
2: Arapahoe County. I, I think also that, you know, women have made a shift because of just incivility and just a desire to go back to, you know, a civil life, a civil life to show their kids um, I think that's really important,
1: so she was talking there about suburban women in particular, and let me add that you know, so she's sixty three years old, her particular demographic women ages fifty five to sixty four I believe it was are also the top ballot returners so far, so that could be a real force
0: you know one thing i'm I'm looking at that ties to the suburban voters is the state house. Majorities, You know, so we have Democrats in control of both chambers of the state legislature. So that's not going to change, but there's a possibility that uh, Democrats will pick up three seats in the state Senate. So one is looking pretty likely in a suburban district. Um, another is out in the, the third CD. And then wow. a third is also a s- suburban district. So if that happens, you know, no, it doesn't change the majority in the Senate, but it would probably make the chamber more partisan and less moderate, because Republicans that hold some of these seats are more moderate members. And then when Democrats have a wider majority, some of these big issues that they've had troubles getting through the state Senate Mm -hmm. could potentially pass, because Democrats don't need their whole caucus to really be on board. Yeah,
1: Democrats have a very, a pretty narrow majority in that state Senate right now, and it has blown apart some of their, their efforts to do paid family leave, for example.
0: Right, and so That's one thing I'm I'm looking at. You know, it may not get the big headlines, but it could really impact what policies happen at the state level next year.
1: And then on the other hand, the Republicans in the state house, where they have uh, really a weak minority, Republicans are far from power in that state house. They're hoping to claw back a couple of those suburban seats that they lost that they really didn't expect to lose in recent years.
0: Mm -hmm. Like the the seat you live in. That's right.
1: Like rip the tone seat.
0: Well, we've got a full, full ballot with lots of ballot initiatives. You know, not to go through the nearly dozen of them, but what key things do you think, <laughs> you, you know, you're going to be watching for and, and And also in terms of what that would say about the state and where it's trending politically.
2: All right. I will say, you know, not a resident of the state. The one that I am kind of looking to see how it turns out is the wolves one. That's They're... the measure to reintroduce wolves. Yeah, exactly. The... Yeah. Right. Okay. Because mm-hmm. for me, it'll show the strength or the weaknesses of the rural-urban divide in the state. I do feel when I was out in the third CD that there were a lot of people who felt like rural voices and rural issues were not being taken seriously. And I think if this passes mainly on urban votes, that does kind of indicate that, yes, like the people that actually have to live with these wolves, they're the ones that have to deal with it on a daily basis, right? They're, but not not the urban people. And yeah. yeah,
0: I can see plenty of urban people saying, sure, that's cool. And then... They don't deal with any of the ramifications. Yeah.
1: Well, we've talked so much about how many of these races are nationalized and how national politics shapes everything. And I think that could make, you know, the rest of the elections more predictable. But these ballot initiatives, that's like tutti-frutti mode. You never know what's going to happen. Like, wolves, there is no national poll that's going to tell you what two Coloradans think about wild canines. Yeah. And then even like some of the more ideologically simple ones, like lowering taxes or creating paid family leave, you could get totally contradictory results because voters are not predictable when you put a big question in front of them.
0: Right. It doesn't always fall along, you know, what you would think is the <laughs> partisan differences. And we've seen with some of the ballot initiatives this cycle, there's coalitions sometimes backing and, s- and imposing things that are unpredictable.
1: Totally. One other thing I'll note is that if this is, for example, a Democratic blowout and uh, Democrats really shore up their power in the state, ballot initiatives could still point a way forward for Republicans. If they can continue to put fiscal limits on the ballot and get them passed, which they've shown that they can do, Mm -hmm. then that could be a way to limit what a Democratic majority or supermajority does.
0: That's right. We would be remiss if we don't mention the U.S. Senate race between Republican Cory Gardner and Democrat John Hickenlooper got a lot of national attention because it Mm -hmm. is one of those races Democrats are hoping to pick up. And Republicans obviously want to keep and could determine which party controls that chamber. So we've seen in some of the polls that Hickenlooper is leading in the race and some of the national money has been diverted to other areas there's a lot of competitive senate races now in the closing exactly. stretch that i don't think people were necessarily anticipating the, par-
1: the parties are looking away from this colorado race and reinvesting elsewhere
2: i,
0: mm-hmm. I think wow. that's what we're seeing yeah so election night what's standing out to you here
2: it's not necessarily election night that's standing out to me right now but like a couple like a week before the election what's standing out to me is how quiet the gardner campaign has been I'm getting emails from the Hickenlooper team almost daily or if not like every few hours mm-hmm. saying John Hickenlooper is going to be here or doing like some this virtual event or that virtual event. Cory Gardner's campaign, I only usually get something if it's like we're putting out a new ad. Like mm. I have not seen anything from the Gardner campaign. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that the Senate has been working and he was taken off the trail. But like, yeah. for example, I, I looked this up because I was kind of curious, like Steve Daines, competitive race in Montana. He had Marco Rubio campaigning for him there. Right. Um, Martha hmm. McSally, competitive race in Arizona. Mike Lee, the president, was there. Wow. Susan Collins, she's facing her own competitive race right. in Maine. She is doing an all of Maine bus tour. I mean, people are wearing masks, holding signs, but they are. She's out there.
1: Much quieter here for Cory Gardner.
2: Much quieter. Hmm. It is oddly
0: quiet, in the, and also just with the presidential race, since we're not considered a swing state, and because of COVID too. Hmm. But it's so different than other elections I've covered, where I'm. Heading out to rallies every day and it's Mm -hmm. just – we still have a busy pace of work that we're doing, but
2: it's just – it's shifted. It's
1: anticlimactic. Well,
2: well, but it's also like I still feel even in the presidential race, right? Like they had Bernie Sanders something for Joe Biden a week before the election. Mm -hmm. I think the last surrogate we had in the Trump campaign was still John Pence and that was a couple of weeks ago. Republicans have been so quiet.
1: This whole thing's been quiet. I mean, and to be honest, I kind of forgot that Sanders was here because it's not like he's throwing a huge rally. He just kind of shows up. In terms of Gardner, I'll be watching the blame game if he loses. Was it Trump's fault? Was it that Gardner didn't do enough to overcome? And I'm also curious to see how a Gardner performs versus a Lauren Boebert versus a Trump. What flavor of Republican is strongest or weakest here?
0: Oh Yeah, I think that will be interesting because we're definitely going to see some split ticket voters of people backing Cory Gardner that, that aren't supporting the president. So I think that'll be really interesting to see that breakdown.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're now headed into one of my favorite parts of the podcast. Wait, what? what? Mine is kind of a little bit of a wait, what? A Trump-Biden marriage. When I told people I was what? doing this story, yeah, some people were like, wait, what? Those exist? Those do exist. There are Trump-Biden marriages. And what's interesting about Hillary and Matt Glasgow is you know, they really are passionate about politics. So they're not people that are voting for Trump and Biden, but don't follow it or aren't really engaged. You know, they're extremely engaged. They live in Pueblo, which is a divided area politically as much as their marriage. Maybe she's a diehard Democrat diehard democrat These
1: people were born to be in a public radio story right
0: exactly <laughs> and um he's voting for trump for a second time which she daily says she cannot wrap her head around and they argue about it constantly um i was in their living room and i recorded them for more than an hour i just kind of put my microphone out and and you woke me up
2: one night and you i was sleeping and you were like do you really think that health care is a right and not a privilege and i was like Of course, that's what I think. Of course, it's a right. Let's everybody pay for it. Like, I'm fine with that. That's what I'm saying. I'm for if I'm a Republican and I'm for universal health coverage. If everybody pays 30 percent like everybody else does in any other country. that If you wake (laughs) me up for for
1: any purpose, (laughs) I'm not going to be happy.
0: Yeah, exactly. It ended up being a sweet story because they do respect each other's opinions And, you know, it's just their dynamic. They don't take it personally. And they do wish, they both said they wish more Americans would interact with people who they strongly disagree with. Well, apparently
1: they're masters of that.
0: (laughs) So if you want to hear more about how this couple makes their Biden-Trump marriage work, you can check out uh, my story on the CPR.org website.
1: My my secondary, wait, what, is that John Hickenlooper posted a tweet video to say that he was going to yeet Cory Gardner out of the Senate. Yeet or yeet.
2: I, had, I don't know what yeet means. I'm going to say that for, for our listeners who are like me. I don't know what yeet means.
1: He defines it in the video. To yeet <laughs> is to propel with great force. For example, on Halloween, you might yeet the candy to the kids instead of handing it to them in order to be <laughs> COVID safe.
0: And Hickenlooper's reading jokes that are trying to bash gardeners being out of touch says, with Colorado. Like, you're someone who skis in jeans. You don't like green chili.
1: Cory Gardner's favorite quarterback is Tom Brady. This is one of the best ones. Cory Gardner brings his passport to Trinidad.
0: <laughs> I find this a, a little ironic ride. from a person who was born on the East Coast. Higgin' was raised on the East Coast, went to college there. Yeah, he's been here for decades, but Corey Gardner's from Yuma. Fifth generation, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, his ancestors probably skied in dungarees. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful who you're trying to yeet out of what with these kind of jokes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm going to use that word one more time. Let's yeet on out of here, and then and then I'm done. <laughs>
0: Perfect ending there. So that's it for this week's episode. purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleagues Andrew Kenny and Caitlin Kim.
2: Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Caitlin
0: Kim
1: and I'm at Andy K N N Y.
0: I'm at Benta Berkland. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week for our post-election episode. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.